The products discussed in this podcast are only available in the United States. Hello and welcome to the quarterly update podcast for the Loomis Sales Core Plus Bond Fund, where portfolio managers share their thoughts on the markets and their strategies. My name is Erica Casal, and I'm joined today by Rick Raskowski, one of the portfolio managers at Loomis Sales on the fund. Thanks for joining me today, Rick. Thank you, Erica. It's good to be here. All right, let's dive right in. We certainly had an eventful Q1 uh, to start off 2023. Um, and I guess let's let's focus on the most recent and unfortunately severe event, which was this this banking panic caused by the failures of Signature and Silicon Valley Bank. Um, keeping your comments to you know maybe the the big picture, but what do you think um, as far as if there is a high risk of contagion within the banking sector, and what will, in your opinion? be the largest ramifications we see in the marketplace. Yeah, Erica, it was an eventful quarter for sure. Um, We often say that when the Fed hikes rates aggressively, usually something breaks and something broke. And this time around, it was the regional banks, Silicon Valley Bank, SVB, Signature Bank, and spilling overseas to Credit Suisse. But you're asking the right question, and it's one we're getting from clients. Is this the start of something bigger? Could this be a systemic shock similar to the GFC in 2008? And our answer to that question is no, that's not the most likely outcome. We think that contagion risk is limited, mainly because most banks are dealing with it from a position of strength. We consider SVB to be idiosyncratic. It was a bank with unique operating risks and largely an outlier in our opinion. When we look across the banking landscape, most banks don't have the same type of risk as SVB, particularly in terms of deposit concentration. Most bank balance sheets overall are in good shape. Capital levels are high. Loan losses are low. But we have to keep in mind, we can't get too complacent because confidence is the linchpin of the banking business model. And confidence can come and go, as we've seen. But it does seem that deposit outflows are moderating and the government response, providing liquidity to the banks and by making SVB depositors whole, has helped shore up confidence, at least for now. But we'll need to watch that closely, and we can't rule out more bank failures, but we don't think it presents a systemic shock. We think the bigger contagion risk is the potential contagion to the economy from banks tightening lending standards for or pulling back credit. And in fact, that pullback was already happening before the recent banking turmoil. The issue is that most of the stress in the banking system today is in small and medium-sized banks, and these are the banks that are the lifeblood for small businesses. And small businesses account for a significant portion of employment and GDP in the U.S., But how much of this potential tightening will affect the economy and the timing of that is really uncertain. Estimates of the potential hit to GDP range from a quarter percent to one percent, and that's meaningful in an economy that we believe was poised to slow anyway. That said, while we do see some risk to small business lending and perhaps to the consumer, especially those in the lower credit tier, we're really not seeing a pullback in credit or credit availability for the larger companies in public markets. That is outside the stressed areas like commercial and real estate. Investment grade and high yield spreads have narrowed sharply recently, and spreads for industrial companies are actually tighter than they were at the start of the year. In IG, the new issue market is wide open. New issue deals are several times oversubscribed, and some of the new issue concessions have been pretty modest. And we're also seeing high yield new issuance picking up as well, although much slower than IG. So, you know, big picture, no broad signs of credit stress in the large public markets. Now, we'll have to see if this changes or whether the brunt of the credit outlook is confined to smaller companies. But either way, we believe that reduced credit availability is going to take some of the steam out of the economy. 
Great. Thank you, Rick. Appreciate your thoughts there. And of course, you know, again, even thinking bigger picture, of course, persistent inflation being, you know, the ultimate driver of, of the bank failure and a lot of the volatility we continue to see in the marketplace. After everything that happened in March, do you think the Fed will pivot their strategy moving forward? Uh, yes, Erica. We think it's definitely affecting the Fed's thinking. And Fed Chairman Powell said as much at his, at his press conference following the March FOMC meeting. And the bond market certainly has jumped on this idea. It significantly repriced its Fed expectations. In fact, if we look back just one month ago, markets were pricing in a Fed funds terminal rate, and by that I mean the peak cycle rate of 5.7%, and now the market's pricing in a terminal rate of just under 5%. So effectively, the market has priced out three 25 basis point hikes. The market is saying that tighter financial conditions from banks pulling back is doing the Fed's work for them, and there's some truth to that. But as we discussed, figuring out real time how much financial conditions have tightened in the economy and that disparity between credit conditions and small and medium-sized businesses versus large is going to be a real challenge for the Fed. Right now, despite the market turmoil, we think the Fed will hike 25 basis points in May. And that's about 80% priced in the market. And then after that, we think the, the Fed will pause to assess. But I, I think it's really interesting how the different markets are sending different signals on how they're interpreting the Fed. The Treasury bond market, for its part, is flashing serious warning signals. Treasury yields have dropped, and the yield curve has inverted further. The spread between the three-month T-bill and the 10-year Treasuries plummeted to a negative 166 basis points. That's about the lowest it's ever been, and it's a, been a pretty good recessionary indicator. On the other hand, stock market and credit spreads are sending a much more benign signal and seem to be embracing the positives from a Fed potentially on hold and potentially cutting rates down the road. We think this may be a short-sighted view unless you think inflation is going to come down meaningfully and consistently on its own. And we think there's a high bar for the Fed to cut rates. And we think it's going to take a material slowdown in the economy and likely a significant rise in the unemployment rate for that to happen. I'm not sure risk markets are fully prepared or priced for this outcome. So it may be a little bit, be careful what you wish for. Great. Thank you, Rick. And taking a look at you know your team's portfolio construction process, as a reminder to listeners, uh, they start with a top-down macro view of the marketplace. And last time we were together, the team maintained that we were in the late expansion phase of the credit cycle. Has the team changed where you think we are in the credit cycle since our last conversation? No, we haven't made major changes to our outlook. We still believe we're in the late expansion phase of the cycle, and the big question is whether we tip into a downturn. And given the recent situation with the banks and potential tightening of credit, we have pushed up our odds of a downturn, although we expect any downturn to be relatively mild. And to be fair, our downturn call is not super high conviction. So the way we're framing markets is through three scenarios or likely pathways for the markets. The first is downturn, which is our highest probability, and as I said, probably mild. And here we would see lower Treasury yields and wider credit spreads, as you would expect, so the classic response. The second scenario is what we call resilient economy, and this is where financial conditions don't tighten as much as feared. The economy hums along, inflation remains persistent, and that keeps the Fed in play. Under this scenario, Fed funds get up to maybe the five and three quarters area, Treasury yields rise, and credit spreads at first are range bound, but eventually push wider on concerns that the Fed may be going too far. And the third scenario is late cycle disinflation, where the economy slows just enough to allow inflation to cool and the Fed to stop hiking and eventually cut rates. Under this scenario, Treasury rates decline and credit spreads narrow, and that seems to be close to what the market is pricing in today. 
So what does this all mean for our positioning and outlook? Well, big picture, under our scenario analysis, the balance of risk favors treasuries and duration over credit. The way we think about it, duration works in two of the three scenarios, and credit works really only in one, disinflation. So given where valuations are, we think this argues for a conservative portfolio positioning, and that's what we've been doing. Thank you. And and taking a closer look at the portfolio, the Corpus Bond Fund did return roughly 3.8% in the first quarter, outperforming the benchmark, uh, which is the Bloomberg U.S. Aggregate Bond Index, um, which it has returned just under 3%. Can you talk a little bit about the primary drivers and detractors of performance throughout the quarter? Sure, Erica. Solid returns for the bond market for the quarter and even better returns for the fund. So we're, we're happy with the results for our investors. And as you said at the top, uh, it was an eventful quarter, a lot of moving parts. Uh, the biggest driver of the fund's performance was the long-duration positioning relative to the benchmark. That position benefited from a sharp drop in Treasury yields for the quarter. But it certainly wasn't a straight line getting there. Treasury yields soared in February and early March on the heels of the February employment report that showed that the economy generated 517,000 jobs in January, way above consensus. And that was followed soon by another hot CPI report. So the two-year Treasury after those reports jumped by more than 80 basis points. But all of that and more was reversed with the failure of SVB. The two-year Treasury plummeted by more than 100 basis points in the last two weeks in March, taking out all of the post-employment report increases and more. So net-net, Treasury yields were 40 to 50 basis points lower in the quarter than the start of the year. So it was good being long duration to capture that move lower in yields. The second biggest positive performance driver was the fund's out-of-benchmark non-dollar positions in Mexico and Uruguay bonds. As a reminder, these are unhedged foreign currency positions, and both were standout performers last year. Both had positive total returns in a deeply negative return environment for U.S. fixed income. And these positions have continued to outperform U.S. assets in Q1 with returns for the Mexico and Uruguay bonds at 12% and 4% respectively. Outside of that, no major drivers, good or bad. The fund was helped slightly by a small overweight to high-yield credit and high-yield spreads narrowed for the quarter. Also on the positive side was an underweight to MBS pass-through securities but continued to struggle on the quarter. And on the negative side, small detractors from modest overweights and securitized credit. But overall, as far as the fund's performance, it really was all about being long duration with a nice assist from the non-dollar positions. Great. Thank you, Rick. And, and great performance, absolutely. Um, and given the, the current market environment and your outlook, could you talk about how you might be changing the positioning within the core sectors of the portfolio? Sure. You know, given our increasingly cautious stance on the market, uh, we are historically high in our allocation to the core or benchmark sectors. We remain overweight treasuries on a contribution to duration basis, although underweight on a market value basis. Treasuries give protection in a risk-off environment and, just as important, give us the liquidity to take advantage of any dislocations in other sectors or securities. Turning to the other core sectors, the fund is modestly underweight agency MBS pass-throughs. As a reminder, these securities don't have credit risk, but they do have prepayment risk. And MBS is really having another tough year as it continues to face headwinds from lack of Fed buying as QE winds down, high interest rate volatility, and more recently, fear that the FDIC may sell the MBS positions it took in from the failed regional banks. But not all is negative in the MBS world. MBS benefits from low prepayment risk as very few people are refinancing their mortgages given the current level of mortgage rates. And MBS spreads have widened, so accounting for some of these risks. 
So we are taking a closer look at that market, but we do need to be convinced first that interest rate vol can start to settle down. In IG corporates, uh, we are underweight overall, but overweight to triple B, so slightly overweight from our risk posture. And this is in industries that we like. We still like banks with the big six here in the U.S. and the national champion banks uh, overseas. We also like airlines and autos. Uh, but generally speaking, we don't think that the market overall is particularly attractive. Spreads in IG are modestly wider on the year, but really all of that is financials. In fact, industrials and utility spreads are tighter on the year. So we are picking away at IG new issue uh, corporates in favor names and in industries we like and looking for new issue concessions, but we're not adding to the sector overall. In securitized credit, we've been adding high-quality AAA and AA-rated auto loan ASAPEC securities as a way to boost yield on the front end of the curve. But with commercial real estate CMBS, we have been extremely cautious on this sector for the past two years, especially office, and only hold a small position in high-quality CMBS securities. We're also underweight REITs. CMBS is cheap and considerably, and opportunities may emerge, but we feel we need better valuations to get involved there. Great. Thank you, Rick. And as you've mentioned, of course, the duration positioning adding um, significant return in the first quarter. Your team has been favorable on adding duration over the past six, even maybe a little bit longer, um, six months or so. Um, currently, the fund is positioned almost one year long versus the bench. Have you changed your view at all as far as as far as far outlook and how you might be positioning duration moving forward? No, Erica, no major changes to our duration positioning. Now, we did recently tactically trim the duration overweights given the recent rally in Treasury yields, but the fund remains long duration overall relative to its benchmark. In terms of the curve, we have positioned the fund with an overweight to the belly of the curve, and by that I mean the five to 10 year maturity band. And that's given the inversion of the Treasury curve and also our expectation that the Fed is close to the end of its tightening cycle. As we discussed earlier, we believe the balance of risks favors duration over credit. And if anything, our view of an increased odds of a downturn make us more confident in that long duration positioning. So we may be tactical if yields move a lot in either direction, but we will maintain a bias toward a structural long duration for the foreseeable future. Thank you. And now looking towards the the plus sectors of the portfolio, some of the more tactical alpha driver positions, are there any sectors you're finding more attractive as we move towards mid-year or, or any real danger zones that you're avoiding? We are near the low end of our historical range in the out-of-benchmark or plus sectors. In fact, our high-yield holdings are the lowest since 2007. High-yield spreads are now tighter on the year and not overly attractive in our view, as we think defaults will pick up and current valuations aren't fully pricing in the credit deterioration, which we think will happen. And in fact, we're already seeing it with credit downgrades outpacing credit upgrades. So we're not running away from high yield. Uh, we still have an allocation there, but we are being selective in what we hold, and we'll be looking for better entry points to add to this sector. Looking to other plus sectors, we hold a modest position in high-quality CLOs. We like the structural protection of CLOs and in an underlying asset class, bank loans that are higher up in the capital structure and have a floating rate component, which gives us some protection if we're wrong about the direction of interest rates and they move higher. And finally, as we discussed earlier, we continue to hold and like our local currency government bonds in Mexico and Uruguay. Both these countries' central banks hiked rates earlier and faster than the Fed, and they have all in yields in the 9 to 11 percent range. These countries also have great underlying fundamentals in our view. Mexico, for example, should continue to benefit from the trend in reshoring, where 
Companies want to locate or produce closer to the U.S. to minimize supply chain disruptions. And Uruguay, one of our favorites of our, our sovereign analysts, also has solid economy, good finances, and a stable, low-drama government. So in sum, we have relatively low allocations to the plus sectors. We don't think the market is out of the woods yet as far as volatility, and we'll be looking to take advantage of any dislocations. And we're building liquidity in the fund to take advantage of those opportunities. We really like how we're set up here. Great. And Rick, I just want to thank you again for your for your time today. Um, and to our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about the Core Plus Bond Fund and about how Rick and his team run this strategy, please reach out to one of your Natixis wholesalers or visit us on our website at im.natixis.com. Important information. Standard performance as a percentage for Loomis Sales Core Plus Bond Fund as of March 31st, 2023. Class Y, three months, 3.83. Year to date, 3.83. One year, negative 4.25. Three years, negative 0.91. Five years, 1.51. 10 years, 2.03. Class A at NAV, three months, 3.72. Year to date, 3.72. One year, negative 4.53. Three years, negative 1.17. Five years, 1.25. 10 years, 1.78, Class A with 4.25% maximum sales charge, 3 months, negative 0.65, year, to date, negative 0.65, 1 year, negative 8.58, 3 years, negative 2.58, 5 years, 0.36, 10 years, 1.34, Bloomberg US, Aggregate Bond Index, 3 months, 2.96, year to date, 2.96, 1 year, negative 4.78, 3 years, negative 2.77, 5 years, 0.91, 10 years, 1.36, 30-day SEC yield, Y, subsidized equals 3.73%, 30-day SEC yield, Y, unsubsidized, equals 3.71%, performance data listed represents past performance and is no guarantee of, and not necessarily indicative of, future results, total return and value will vary, and you may have a gain or loss when shares are sold, current performance may be lower or higher than quoted, for most recent month-end performance, Visit im.natixis.com. Performance for other share classes will be greater or less based on differences in fees and sales charges. Performance for periods less than one year is cumulative, not annualized. Returns reflect changes in share price and reinvestment of dividends and capital gains, if any. Top 10 holdings for the Loomis Sales Core Plus Bond Fund as of March 31, 2023. U.S. Treasury notes 4.125% November 15, 2032. 3.81% of portfolio. U.S. Treasury bonds 2.000% November 15, 2041. 2.81% of portfolio. U.S. Treasury notes 3.875% September 30, 2029, 2.75% of portfolio. U.S. Treasury notes 2.750% August 15, 2032, 2.64% of portfolio. U.S. Treasury notes 3.125% August 31, 2029, 2.63% of portfolio. Federal National Mortgage Association 2.500% March 1, 2062, 2.06% of portfolio. Mexico Bonos 8.500% May 31, 2029, 1.92% of portfolio. Federal National Mortgage Association 2.500% March 1, 2062, 1.88% of portfolio. U.S. Treasury Bonds 1.750% August 15, 2041, 1.72% of portfolio. U.S. Treasury Bonds 3.375% August 15, 2042, 1.45% of portfolio. The portfolio is actively managed and holdings are subject to change. There is no guarantee the fund continues to invest in the securities referenced. As of March 31, 2023 the fund held only three different currencies. Gross expense ratio 0.4%. 46%, Class Y share, 0.71%, 
Class A share, net expense ratio 0.46%, Class Y share, 0.71%, Class A share, as of the most recent prospectus, the investment advisor has contractually agreed to waive fees and or reimburse expenses, with certain exceptions once the expense cap of the fund has been exceeded. This arrangement is set to expire on January 31, 2024, when an expense cap has not been exceeded, the gross and net expense ratios and or yields may be the same. The 30-day SEC yield is a standardized calculation, calculated by dividing the net investment income per share for the 30-day period by the maximum offering price per share at the end of the period and annualizing the result. Unsubsidized 30-day SEC yield is calculated using the gross expenses of the fund. Gross expenses do not include any fee waivers or reimbursement. A subsidized 30-day SEC yield reflects the effect of fee waivers and expense reimbursements. The SEC yield is not based upon distributions of the fund and actual income distributions may be higher or lower than the 30-day SEC yield amounts. During periods of unusual market conditions, the fund's 30-day SEC yield amounts may be materially higher or lower than its actual income distributions. The Bloomberg U.S. Aggregate Bond Index is an unmanaged index that covers the U.S dollar denominated, investment grade, fixed rate, taxable bond market of SEC registered securities. The index includes bonds from the treasury, government related, corporate, mortgage backed securities, asset backed securities, and collateralized mortgage backed securities sectors. Credit quality reflects the highest credit rating assigned to individual holdings of the fund among Moody's, S&P, or Fitch. Ratings are subject to change. The fund's shares are not rated by any rating agency and no credit rating for fund shares is implied. Bond credit ratings are measured on a scale that generally ranges from AAA, highest to D, lowest. Fixed income securities may carry one or more of the following risks. Credit, interest rate, as interest rates rise bond prices usually fall, comma inflation and liquidity. Mortgage-related and asset-backed securities are subject to the risks of the mortgages and assets underlying the securities. Other related risks include prepayment risk which is, the risk that the securities may be prepaid, potentially resulting in the reinvestment of the prepaid amounts into securities with lower yields. Below investment grade fixed income securities may be subject to greater risks, including the risk of default, than other fixed income securities. Foreign and emerging market securities may be subject to greater political, economic, environmental, credit, currency and information risks. Foreign securities may be subject to higher volatility than U.S. securities, due to varying degrees of regulation and limited liquidity. These risks are magnified in emerging markets. Currency exchange rates between the U.S. dollar and foreign currencies may cause the value of the fund's investments to decline. Currency exchange rates between the U.S. dollar and foreign currencies may cause the value of the fund's investments to decline. Inflation-protected securities move with the rate of inflation and carry the risk that in deflationary conditions, when inflation is negative, the value of the bond may decrease. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit im.natixis.com or call 800-862-4863 for a prospectus or a summary prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully. This material is provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. There can be no assurance that developments will transpire as forecasted. Actual results may vary. The views and opinions expressed are as of April 14, 2023 and may change based on market and other conditions. Natixis Distribution, LLC is a limited-purpose broker-dealer and the distributor of various registered investment companies for which advisory services are provided by affiliates of Natixis Investment Managers, Natixis Distribution, LLC, Fund Distributor, Member FINRA, SIPC, and Loomis, Sales and Company, LP are affiliated, Add Tracks, 1468912301, Expiration Date, July 31, 2023, POD 25, March, 2023.